It's no secret that customers expect the best experience from every business, including yours. Whether it's with customer support, sales, or everything in between, Zendesk products help give your customers the experience they deserve. Better yet, qualifying startups can join the Zendesk for Startups program and get Zendesk products free for six months. That's all of Zendesk, free for six months. Win on every channel with the Zendesk for Startups program. Visit zendesk.com equity to claim your free six months of Zendesk. Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we each and every week unpack the numbers behind the headlines. I am Alex Wilhelm and I'm joined this week by my two favorite people on the entire planet, uh, Danny Crichton, TechCrunch's managing editor. Danny, how are you? I'm doing all right. All right. And we also have Natasha Moscarenas. Natasha, how are you doing? I'm feeling good. We have an optimistic show today, it feels like, so I'm not going to complain for one show. (laughs) It's nice. I mean, after having equity be the saddest part of my week for you know about a month, this is actually going to be pretty fun. So if you want to hear more about uh, coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, and all the ills in the world, um, turn it off because this is not going to be mostly about that. So uh, if you want to hear about startups, this is going to be the show for you. So listen on. With that in mind, we're going to kick off with the 500 Startups Demo Day that happened this afternoon, in fact. And Natasha and I were part of the TC crew that was watching this live. Um, it was kind of a repeat, Tosh, if you will, the YC demo day. That was also virtual. We kind of these two experiences, and you were on both. So I want to get your impressions, first of all, about how the 500s live stream pitches lined up compared to the YC experience. I honestly liked the way that 500 startups handled their demo day, you know, with a nod to the fact that YC potentially couldn't have pulled it off the same way that 500 did because YC has hundreds more startups. 500 startups had 25, about 25 startups, Give I believe. Take, yeah. And did pre-recorded pitches that was live streamed. I think like almost 2,000 people tuned in. And I think they did a great job, you know, with the remote aspect in mind, keeping the human side. So I was happy. No complaints there. I thought it, it made me excited and it was fun to tune in on and blog along too. Yeah, it was cool. They also announced a couple of news things that we shouldn't forget. Uh, One, they're changing up the format of 500. They're going to change it away from having like timed batches. They're going to have like a rolling application process, kind of join when you're ready. And then they'll have two demo days. You can kind of pick which one you'll be part of. And they also did some discussions about the venture world, which, as you can imagine, wasn't the most optimistic part of the show. But they were saying things like a couple of months of slower investments, which I would all agree is pretty reasonable. And then there were the pitches in three chunks Tosh, did you have a fave from the group? I I have two, but I'm curious if you had one that kind of stood out for you. Well, I first wanted to also point out that I think 500 in some ways, like YC is fast tracking its investment process. So that's something to note that these accelerators are now being more flexible than they have been. YC yesterday announced that it is fast tracking any application and investments in startups that are tackling problems that have risen as a result of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So thought it was cool to see that flexibility happening. There's two that I liked. So thematic was one. It basically helps influencers that have been demonetized by using music that is not theirs in their videos get fresh music. And I think I have a soft spot for it because I've been on YouTube more than recently these days and I've seen how janky stock music is. So I thought it was a cool niche to fill. Their co-founder is Michelle Fawn, who I grew up watching. She's like this beauty influencer on YouTube. So it's good to know that it's people tackling the problem that actually probably faced it. And then the second one is Trash Warrior. They help people get rid of trash. And surprisingly enough, that's kind of hard to do. When I moved here, I... 
like had to ask my movers to take it because I didn't know what to do with these mounds of cardboard. But I thought Trash Warrior was smart for bringing on businesses as clients instead of just people because I'm sure that creates some kind of loyalty there. I like both those thematic, especially um, not getting strikes on YouTube by by using the wrong music is a big part of being a creator over there. You don't want to get in trouble with the YouTube algorithm, which at times, as we all know, can get a bit spicy and kind of grab the wrong thing. So having a way to make sure that you're not going to be in trouble is great. On my side, my two faves, really briefly, because I know we're running a little bit late here, but uh, Juked.gg, which is an esports aggregation platform, kind of like all the world of esports in one website. I've known the founder on Twitter forever. And as a big esports dork, uh, super excited to see that. Really cool company. And then all Breeza, which I talked about actually on Equity Monday about a month ago, give or take, which is a insurance API startup focused on small business coverage. It's a cool space. It's a cool tech. It's hard. And so they're doing kind of a really big you know, fix to a broken market. So that's pretty cool. But overall, uh, Tosh, I'm positive about all this. I thought it was a good demo day. And overall, just I give like an A minus, I feel overall. What's your what's your grade on that? Yeah, I'll give I'll give it an A minus too. I, I know you mentioned that there was like a Slack group for investors. That was a great yes. touch. I don't know if we'll have to talk about that, but that was a cool touch. Were you on the Slack? I wasn't. I didn't wasn't a cool kid, but you were. So tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, well, I wasn't gonna bring it up because I didn't want to be like, I was on the Slack. because <laughs> uh, no one wants to hear me talk about how I got access to a Slack. <laughs> But okay, here we are. So I'll tell you about it, the Slack that I was on. There was an investor Slack that I got invited to. I got to kind of bounce around there and see what investors were saying about the different companies and how they interact with each other. Turns out they just do a lot of like, hi, and they're all super positive about what's going on. Oh, I thought it was going to be more snarky. Like if you put all the journalists into a room, oh everyone would be a complete jerk. But oh, Danny's making noises. Danny, what's up? No, I was just going to say, I, I feel like all investors are negative. They they never say anything positive about their own companies, let alone <laughs> anyone else in the ecosystem. So, but Which VCs were you hanging out with? Because <laughs> Exactly. I think they're called East Coast VCs, Alex. Oh, well, yeah, you, you just don't go to New York and you solve a lot of problems. Um, anyways, it was fun. Thank you, 500, for letting me hang out in there. But let's move on to our first funding round of the day, a large investment, $75 million dollars. To a company called Plastic, that's Plastic with a Q, and Tosh, you covered this for TC, so what is the skinny? Yeah, so Plastic raised $75 million from um, investors like Kleiner, Kosla, Accomplice, and it is not a complicated business to understand. So it basically unlocks people who want to use their credit card with things that don't traditionally accept credit for both consumers and small businesses. So thank you and me, it's rent and tuition. And for small businesses, it's commercial rent, suppliers, vendors. And an anecdote that I'll share is that before the pandemic happened, they were able to close the deal and they were going to tie their announcement to tax season, I believe. Then the pandemic happened and their business idea kind of like showed to be even more useful um, in the founder, Elliot Buchanan's mind, at least, because it helps small, medium businesses that are struggling right now kind of use credit to free up the cash that they do have. They can use credit because maybe there's not not enough people going in their restaurant and they can use that money to pay rent and give them a little bit more leeway. So I thought that was a really interesting way that the pandemic kind of like influenced how Plastic announced its funding round. So you can't see this. We're all, we do a Zoom when we record equity when we're all remote like this. Then we do kind of local audio and stitch it together. But what you can't see is that Danny's eyes just got wider than two hubcaps. So we're going to pivot and go, Danny, what blew your head <laughs> off during that last paragraph? But I'll say two things. One is it's really interesting to see people wanting to use credit card as an option for, for a lot of transactions. Because I remember a couple of years ago, there were a number of startups that were focused on how to pay like your utility bill using cash. 
right? There were ways of like, how do I, if, if I don't even have, I'm underbanked or unbanked, how do I pay for all kinds of bills or, or expenses or rent using using just cash? But the part that just blows my mind, I mean, uh, you know, this this has got to be a market that just has just gotten wiped out. I mean, you know, saying like, oh, I can pay my rent, which is $30,000 a month when I'm making no money, but it's on credit. Like, I, I, that just that sounds to me like a complete disaster for most restaurants beyond just what's just happened the last couple of weeks. We said at the start of the show, though, we weren't going to talk about coronavirus <laughs> at every turn. And yet I feel like so far in the show, that's been the case. So I may have lied to everybody. So, Danny, but your, your, your point is that in a, in a riskier market, credit of this sort sounds increasingly dicey from an investor perspective. I think this is a really tough space. I mean, plastic has actually been around a while. I was looking up on Crunchbase. It's been around since 2012. It looks like it's had a couple of inside rounds over the years. So Atlas Ventures or Accomplice uh, rebranded along with uh, Kostla and Kleiner have been uh, involved in the company for a long period of time. And if you read carefully, it seems like there's been a little bit of an upsurge in the last year or two. I mean, the amount of capital raised has, has increased a lot obviously with the $75 million round, but they raised a $10 million round from Coastal back in 2014. That was their Series wow. B, right? And the Series D is is six years later. So I don't know if they found like the magic here or they're hitting the time right. To me, it seems like they just found out like the model and then the model just got turned upside down. You know, the focus on the SMB here. So I, I don't know if that's like true or not. I, I, you know, I don't know the company extremely well, but I, just like looking through the numbers, it was really surprising to me to see such a, I don't know, long in the tooth startup. I hear your point. And I think the only thing that I would love to know is when we last wrote about them with their Series C, they said that they had secured 1 million customers. And this time they had said that they secured upward of 1 million. And it's been, I think, three years. <laughs> so I was like, what does that mean? They said that it, it that they had 150% in new customers in the last year, 150% growth in new users in the last year, and that 90% of their revenue is from small medium businesses. So I guess it is a tricky, definitely a tricky place to fit yourself into and risky, but there, it is getting customers. So, but only maybe, maybe. like yeah, I but mean, only upwards. Maybe. <laughs> upwards of upwards of a million. Doesn't that yeah. mean less than a million? I'm going to start using that. You know what? I make upwards of a billion dollars of income at TechCrunch every year. <laughs> man, I'm, man, I'm underpaid apparently. Um, but upwards means less than, right? It means almost. Am Towards. I, Towards, in the general in the general direction. Although technically you could be okay. at ten million and be towards a million. That's true. If you're going downwards. Yeah. Yeah, this is weird. Uh well, growth looks pretty good. A lot of new money, so they must be doing something right. You don't get seventy five million dollars for no reason, hopefully. So um we'll move on. Oh actually, Tosh, before we do, how do they make money? Is it a spread on the interest or how does their uh, revenue model function? Yeah, so since it doesn't give loans but just uses like pre-existing credit cards, it just charges 2.5% a fee above any person that uses their platform and has a bill that they want to send. So 2.5% off a, on any bill. All right. Uh, well, it'll be curious to see how they handle the next quarter and then also where they are by the end of the year. So hopefully they'll tell us some more stuff um, totally. later on. We can kind of vet how it's going, but probably not great this week. Okay, let's move on to our, our second funny round of the day, which is... Uh, Fast's uh, $20 million Series A that actually I covered this morning, or well, I covered it yesterday, but it came out this morning. Stripe led the round, which is very interesting. Stripe, of course, as equity listeners know, got into that brouhaha with uh, Phoenix, and it was uh, Kleiner, right? Or was it Sequoia? Sequoia, Sequoia. okay, yeah. cool. Uh, anywho, so they uh, led the Series A. Fast had raised a little bit of money last year. 
founders are Dom Holland and Allison Bar Allen. I knew uh, Allison from Twitter because she used to work at Uber. It's a pretty interesting company. What they're trying to do is build a kind of, for lack of a better phrase, lightweight login identity and checkout service that can work across the internet. So payments aren't tied to like a Facebook or a Google or an Apple pay. And they have rolled out their login product in a couple of places and they're rolling out their checkout product sometime soon. Their goal is to be a non-premium priced checkout service and also to help people check out very quickly by saving their credentials in their system. Now, the question is, can they get distribution? Uh, can they be in a lot of sites to kind of make this work out? Stripe is on a lot of sites. So that's kind of how that works out. But Tosh, I'm curious your thoughts about this one. Yeah, I mean, I think the innovation within the checkout card isn't something super new. Like, it's a great thing to focus on, though. I covered Bolt a while back, and they've partnered up with PayPal, I believe, to do this, something similar and kind of like help bring people to the checkout cart with more urgency because if they abandon their online cart, then the sales don't happen. Mm. Very obvious place to jump in and make it seamless. So when I saw it, I was like, this makes sense. I think about Amazon, their one click buy purchase definitely has gotten me a couple of times. So I was excited to hear it. Makes so much sense that Stripe's doing it. Well, Stripe's investing in it. And, and the way that I think it. about that deal is like Stripe wants to handle the transaction side of it and, the, and Fast wants to bring the consumers into the transaction. So you can see some synergies there. My my thought is that if this does catch on and gets market share, it's going to get snapped up by someone big who wants that. But uh, they seem pretty serious about being independent. They you know they're trying to build a successful you know separate company, and we'll see if it works out. But a cool round, cool founders, cool investors. Danny, the part that actually is surprising me is Stripe has a checkout product, like it has something called you know Stripe Checkout. And so I was very confused when I read this. I was like, Stripe invests in checkout product. And I thought it was like Stripe checkout invest in checkout product, yeah. but apparently just Stripe investing in a different checkout product than its own checkout product, um, which was very confusing. So from what I can tell, I, I tried to do a little bit of research about it, but you, you pointed out it's meant to be a cheaper alternative. Stripe checkout is a relatively expensive alternative from what I can tell in the marketplace. And so, um, you know, there are different price points and, it, you know, the numbers can be actually really small. It can be 2% versus 4%, but, you know, at scale of GMV, exactly. that could be a huge shift you know, tens of millions of dollars. It's one of the reasons why Verizon Media doesn't use Stripe is because of the expense of, of that product. And so I, I think what, what you're seeing here is Stripe is trying to buy some of its like lower price competition, or I shouldn't say buy, but, you know, invest in its lower price competition, the the, the warehousing of or wholesale of, of, of checkout technology. Well, it's also an option against becoming obsolete because, for example, if Fast did succeed in its vision and became the you know the most popular way to check out across the internet, taking a big slice of e-commerce transactions, and then Fast all of a sudden said, we're going to go with a different payment processor. Well, Stripe's in some serious troubles. They bought an option mm -hmm. and essentially goodwill at a company that wants yeah. to run a big segment of the, of the front end of the payment industry. So, I, I see your point, Danny. I don't, I, I think it's a good one, but I, I think everything's a bit too nascent here to kind of nail down strategically where it's going to go. But if I was Stripe and I could put what probably, you know, 15 million of a $20 million round in this company and buy safety from its success, sure. Because Stripe has, you know, dollars. So that's my take on that. Uh, we're going to talk about Brex for a minute though. I'm going to hand the baton to Natasha because Brex bought some companies and we want to talk about them in the context, I guess, of the payments world. So kind of merging the Stripe news and what happened with Brex this week is that Brex acquired three companies to kind of build out its bank alternative for startups. And Brex has pretty publicly swung up against Stripe, even though it's the new kid on the block, it wants to take some of Stripe's 
customers and show that it can show up for startups. And when I saw that Brex acquired three new companies, it showed me that they're still working hard at that. And when I saw that Stripe invested in a, a company that's working on the checkout process, it told me that it's not going to you know, take the fight sitting down. I don't think that Stripe is intimidated by Brex, that it's making investments in other companies. But I think it's a good marker to show that Stripe is still investing in, in innovation. It's still, you know, doesn't want to be lazy for its customers. And even though it's a business that has over a decade behind it, it's, you know, still on the ball. So Brex, while it acquired three companies, still has work to do. And I'm excited to see how these two things clash up against each other. What about you, Danny? Well, I think that there's just been a huge amount of M&A in fintech, right? Because, uh, you know, this is a market that not only is it obviously huge, but, you know, it, it's sort of just hitting the, the technology wave right now, right? So you saw Credit Karma get acquired for a couple billion bucks. We saw Plaid get acquired by Visa for a couple billion bucks. You're seeing a bunch of these acquisition and acquire kind of companies in the last couple of months. And I think what you're seeing Ian, is, you know, there's a couple of these platform plays. So Brex is a platform play. Stripe is definitely a platform play where it's like, look, Brex wants to be kind of the the hub for all dollars flowing on the accounting side in a startup. Stripe wants to be the payments gateway, the checkout, the full, you know, soup to nuts infrastructure for companies. Intuit wants to do that for individual consumers, right? They want to be able to be your, you know, uh, independent financial advisor. And so I, I think you're going to see more and more of these, you know, both at the large end with a bunch of established companies, but also the small side, the, the kinds we're talking about with Brex, where it's like, look, they have a feature they need. There's one company in the world that builds that feature. It's pretty good. Instead of trying to build it out themselves when they're you know growing at scale, they're saying, hey, for a couple million bucks, we just bought the feature, include it, and a couple weeks later, you're done. And so I think we're going to continue to see this kind of expansion in the next couple of cycles. All right. So acquisitions are one way to exit, but uh, my favorite exit of the year so far has been Casper, even though it only kind of worked out. But um, Casper was interesting because it kind of cast the D2C space in a new light. And the TechCrunch team spent a lot of time in the last week or so talking to investors about D2C companies. And we ended up kind of with what we call an investor survey, like going out there, talking to everybody, figuring out what they're seeing as investors, and then you know, kind of bringing that to our readership. Interesting things out of this that I wanted to talk about are kind of like twofold. One, don't take Casper's financials as indicative of the rest of the industry was a thing that kind of came up again and again from VCs. And also it appears that no one really wants to keep paying as high of prices to Facebook and Google. And I I, I was surprised at the level of uh, discomfort people had with startups using kind of venture dollars to push through expensive ad platforms to kind of gain new customers. And I wanted to, you know, just talk about that for a second, because I'm curious if startups are still doing that, what we're hearing from founders. And we'll start with Tosh. Yeah. So when I heard the qualms about the Facebook and Google attacks, I immediately thought about ClearBank. Definitely in recent past used the premise that startups spend too much venture capital dollars and therefore part of their companies in equity on ad spend at Google and Facebook. So they created like this business that's like a loan and not equity, but just get a revenue share instead and tries to warn startups not to use their precious dollars when, when it comes to parts of their company on stuff like advertisements. So when I saw that, I was like, I'm not surprised. This is still a thing. A business was born from it. Well, you know, if you have a very high margin product, you can afford to have higher spend on customer acquisition. We all know this, this is part of the economics of startups, um, but not every DTC business has super strong gross margins. And so those especially by the most vulnerable to overpaying on, on advertisements. Uh, margin, by the way, was another thing that kept being brought up by investors in our conversations. They were very adamant that like the fundamentals of these companies really, really matter. And of course, like standing back, that makes perfect sense. But if you read Casper's S1, 
and went back and looked at how much money it had raised, not every check in the world goes into companies that have the best economics. And I, I was I was surprised by that. And then a third thing was the level of optimism that was still being kind of projected by investors about some companies in the D to C space and the idea of brand as a weapon in general. I thought post Casper there's going to be more despondency, but I, I was wrong. So bringing in my favorite thing to do, which is say, Danny, you were a VC, uh, just to make him uncomfortable on the show, which I just enjoyed to hell. I, I'm curious, based on you know your time back in the days of VC and now, how has investor sentiment in your view changed regarding these D to C businesses that are still popular among consumers? Well, I've seen the whole wave. I mean, when I first started in VC in 2012, that was what, eight years ago? I mean, D2C was just getting going. I mean, there was a couple of early brands. And I think we've we've seen the whole wave, right? Like Instagram was purchased in what? I want to say 2011, 2012 by Facebook. It expanded yep. to influencers. The influencer market kind of really expanded it by 2015, 2016. And, and as Tosh pointed out, these these channels are a lot more mature. Um, there was a point in time when, and particularly like uh, Casper and, and uh, Harry's and a bunch of others who... Um, took advantage of extremely low ad rates where you could buy a customer for a couple of bucks and sell them a $700 mattress. I mean, it was mm-hmm. incredible at certain points. But what happened, and this is the challenge when trying to make these investments and they last so long and they're years into the future is, guess what? Those ad rates went up as people figured that out. You know, Lisa started competing, Tuft & Needle started to compete. You know, Casper's no longer the only company that figured out that you can have, you know, fancy mattresses on Instagram for <laughs> 30 cents a dollar. Now it's now it might be $50 or $100 and that economics doesn't work out anymore. So I think what you're seeing is one, there's much more focus on repeated business. So, you know, the value of, we talk about a brand, but a brand is really, hey, there's a customer who wants to make a purchase again and again and again. So for instance, we've seen this in a lot of consumer health companies like Roe and Hims. I was doing some analysis on search engine marketing uh, yesterday for Extra Crunch. And, you know, among the most competitive terms were actually away luggage and and Roe and Hims. Really? Like, you know, so erectile dysfunction and and luggage. Um, I don't know if those work together hand in hand, <laughs> but, um, you know, for, for whatever the case may be, like those those were the, some of the most competitive words. And and I think what it gets at is like, you know, you do have to buy certain products repeatedly. And if you build a customer relationship, you know, that's worth a lot. You know, you're not in the single, hey, I, I sold a widget for X number of dollars of CAC. Now you're saying CAC to long-term value. And that's how I think, you know, the investor sentiment has changed going on forward is to really model out long-term LTV in these DTC brands. So going back a little bit, uh, you mentioned that away luggage was a, a leading ex- term, a leading uh, phrase in terms of expense. Luggage to me is not a repeat purchase, but I guess maybe people could buy more than one piece of away luggage over time. Is that the idea there? I think I think they do actually buy more. You know, you don't just have one piece of luggage. You have your carry-on luggage. You have your, you know, potentially backpack. I'm not saying that away luggage offers every one of these products, but you can imagine like backpacks, your carry-on luggage, your large suitcase, your smaller suitcases. Like, you know, I, I own seven suitcases, which I don't think is like exceptional. I have different sizes for different trips. You know, you're going on a long distance trip to China versus a medium distance trip to Hawaii versus San Francisco versus an overnight in Minneapolis. Like you have different size luggages for the different types of purposes and they're all stacked. They're like, they're like Russian dolls, right? They're all stacked inside of one another. So you just pick out the one that you need for the, for the, you're looking at me so strangely, Alex. It's it's sad that this is an audio podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're just blowing my mind. I mean, I wish I was put together enough to have a different luggage for every trip. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have used the same luggage for like dance competitions and undergrad <laughs> moving to San Francisco. But That's called it... versatility. So, some of us allow our luggage to define ourselves. Others define our luggage. There we go. Uh, That's where we are in the show. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't tell everybody at the start of the show. Um, it's been a week. 
And uh, so what you're getting here is like the slightly like burned out, burned over version of us. Because um, we've been uh, we've been working a lot lately. Not that that's and, a bad thing. It's it's fun. Me, I love my let, job. But and I will say one other thing. Uh, my parents uh, bought away luggage last week, and it blew my mind. And I was like, "How did you hear about away luggage?" And I don't know. There's something online or something like this. So whatever their marketing is, they're reaching uh, rural Michigan voters in 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 far off places. So I mean, you know, the, the, clearly the model still works at some level. I mean, the last note I'll say is also like the idea of cult followings definitely exists with Away. Like if your friend has it, I don't think that counts as a repeat customer, but I do feel like the word of mouth for brands like Away and Glossier are just insane. Let's go back about uh, three minutes to when Danny was talking about an overnight stay in Minneapolis. When the hell are you going to Minneapolis? I, I was there a couple months ago. Why? I grew up there. So it was actually my first oh. time back in eight to nine years. It was like a three or four day trip. And it, you know, it's like, if, I, if it's a one or two day trip, I have one of these like travel backpacks I use all the time. So I can get away with a backpack for two days. But once you hit three to four days, this is way too much information for the equity <laughs> podcast. Alex, you, you trap me. You, 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 I like that I learn about my colleague on air. You seem so authentically curious. And then you, you totally F me over. I did trap you. Yep. Complete trap. And you fell for it because you're tired and I took advantage. All right. Let's um, <laughs> let's wrap with two stories and then everyone else can kind of go home. We're going to talk about internships inside of technology. Tosh wrote a really interesting piece about how these are being canceled in the current uh, change in the world. And this caught my eye because one of my least favorite slash favorite stories that came out every year was here's how much Facebook and Google and Microsoft are paying their interns this year. It would always be like, you know, $1.4 million for like seven days of work. And everyone would get really pissy about this. And it's very funny to watch because it, it's just the market pricing these how they will. And they're competitive and now they're canceled or to some degree canceled. And I just wanted to get the, the shortest taste of this, Tosh. What's going on? Yeah, so a bunch of companies, I think half a dozen the last time I checked, have admitted that they're canceling their internship programs due to the coronavirus. And that is could be a mix of the economic downturn as well as social distancing. So they're citing both. Glassdoor, for example, did an all-company hiring freeze, and that includes onboarding new interns. One thing I want to like mention here is that internships are, for so many students, like definitely more useful than undergrad in some cases. I think that it's crazy that these internships are getting canceled. I know it's been done for the right reason, but it is really hurting undergraduate students. So I thought it was a way to to show how it's impacting our future workforce. It's really going to mess up the used BMW 3 Series market, though, because who's going to buy all those cars? Like, who's <laughs> going to do it now? I mean, they're going to have no value whatsoever. Okay. Thank you for that, Tosh. And I, I want to turn to Slack as we kind of wrap up today. Did you guys see the thread that Stuart, Slack CEO, did on Wednesday night? I didn't. Please give me the rundown. Danny, did you see it? Nope. Were you guys like taking like appropriate time off of Twitter or something? <laughs> like, I didn't know that was allowed. Anyways, I saw it. I also saw it this morning. All right. Anyways, here's what happened. Um, so Stuart Butterfield, Slack CEO, a well-known guy, uh, honestly, a, a generally nice human who's pretty active on Twitter, uh, which is kind of rare for an executive of a company of that size. So he tends to be a bit more open. And I, I bring that up because he did a thread, which we usually frown upon because threads are usually bad. In this case, it wasn't bad. And he walked through what happened to Slack over the last couple of weeks, essentially. And if you want a bit of a front row seat to being a CEO of a company undergoing a, a period of, of dramatic usage and change in the world, it's worth reading. But Put all that aside. What we care about is customer numbers. Danny's laughing, but it's true. 
I'm right. Slack announced that they are now at 9,000 net new customers so far in this quarter for Slack, up from 5K in the entire preceding quarter. And I, I bring this up because we've been tracking the impact of the remote work boom that we're currently seeing on startups, trying to figure out who's seen more usage, uh, who is this going to help? Is it going to help Airtable? Is it going to help Notion, You know, et cetera, et cetera, Monday.com, all these companies that we have our eye on. And Slack's latest numbers indicate that the, the, the expansion and usage of these products that help remote work function is probably bigger than we thought. I thought it was going to be material, but I didn't think it was going to be a doubling nearly for Slack. And so, you know, as far as signals go, it's, it's quite a big one. And I was going to ask you guys what you thought about the thread, but none of you were on Twitter. So I guess it's kind of a moot point. Um, so I'll leave it there. Tosh? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I guess like everyone's talking about Slack and Zoom. It was exciting to just hear the rundown of it. And the transparency is always welcome if Slack wants to give us that earlier next time before it goes on Twitter, super here for it. That's where I'll end. <laughs> we have telephones. You can ring them up, you know. Uh, no, but they kind of had their own style and, and I liked it. And, you know, it was long and kind of in-depth kind of funny thread, uh, which was a surprise. Um, but before we uh, hang up our spurs for this week, guys, is there anything else that you wanted to bring up on the show before I close us down? Because I know it's been an insane four days this week. I'm thankful to be talking about startups again. I think that was exciting. It's a nice change of pace from just talking about infectious diseases, which I'm... I think we, we got the infectious disease down to about 25% of the show. Yeah. It's our best ratio in some time, so... In some time. Yeah, I would give us like a, a B minus, but I'll take it. It's much better than the last couple of just like coronavirus specials we've put on. Um, okay, we're going to leave it there, guys. Equity is back Monday morning. Uh, I'm also be back next week, so please stay safe, sit tight, and uh, we'll be right back. Thanks. Thanks.